Oh, church, what a wonderful morning it's been already. Greeting you and singing God's praises to you. Yet not I, but Christ who dwells in each one of us. And you know, I think maturity in Christ, one big aspect of maturity in Christ is recognizing the life of Christ that dwells within us. And then as we get to recognize that more, that's all we want to see in our lives is Jesus at work. Well, do you have your Bibles? I know you do. You've brought your Bible. And uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 8. And uh, let's go verses 11 to 21. Maybe I'll even add verse 10 in, but 10 to 21. Let's just read through this section. And immediately he got into the boat and his disciples, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand uh, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand yet? Heavenly Father, as we <clears throat> have just opened up your word to our passage this morning, uh, I'm praying for myself and for everyone in this room that our hearts would be open to what the Holy Spirit has to teach us today for this week ahead. So, Lord, do your work in our hearts Tear down walls that are up that might make it difficult for us to hear, to see, and to understand. And we will give you glory for what you're going to do in our lives through our church family here, the bridge, and pray that uh, this week will be an exciting week of serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I heard a story about a guy who was looking forward to the Christmas season, but he needed to lose some weight. And we're only two months away from Christmas. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? This guy, he said, I really want to feel better for Christmas. I want to enjoy Christmas. So I'm going to shed some pounds. And, and so he's doing really well, telling his office workers, uh, look, I'm, I'm doing well, don't you think? Oh, yeah, keep going. You know, it's coming off. We see it coming off. And then one day came into the office with this big box of pastries. And they were so disappointed. What happened? 
what are you doing eating these pastries? He said, well, you know, on my way to the office this morning, I made a mistake and I went down the wrong street and it's the street where my favorite pastry store is. And I, I said, Lord, I, I shouldn't be on this street, but I want you to give me a sign. If I'm supposed to go in and get a pastry, make sure there's a spot right in front of the store for me to go into. And he says, what happened? He said, well, you know, there was a spot right in front of the store. It only took eight times around the block before that spot opened up. Oh, I remember hearing that joke years ago. And it, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's so much like us, isn't it? <clears throat> we ask God for a sign. And, and, and by the way, we, we usually ask God for a sign when we've already made up our mind and heart what we really, really want. And that's what happened with this dear fellow. He wanted a pastry. He was, he'd given in to the desire. And I wouldn't blame him because I, I was at a pastry store yesterday in Toronto. I go there every time I can in Toronto. And I don't even wait for a spot in front of it. I find any spot. But, you know, what we read today in this passage is about looking for signs. Uh, we could have called this message today, looking for a sign, but it's really not going to change my mind. Because oftentimes we do want the sign, but we've already made up our mind. We don't want to miss the fact that the other part of this message, this story here, is about the disciples. The Pharisees said, Jesus, give a sign. But the disciples were a little different. It wasn't a sign for them. They just were slow. I call them the, the slow-to-get-it gang. They just weren't grasping. And, and let's remember, this, they've been with Jesus for a couple of years now. And, you know, they just weren't getting the fact of who Jesus was. So this morning in our text, let's look at both of these groups and see what God has to teach us about slow minds and hard hearts. So let's, let's see what they say in verses 11 to 13. By the way, I mentioned, I'm going to read verse 10 here, and we just uh, discovered that they are now leaving, and, and they went to the district of Delmanutha, and, uh, and they're, they're moving around quite a bit. And here we find in this first section the insurmountable problem of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' hard heartedness hard so the context is last week we looked at the feeding of the 4,000 um, and then they get in the boat their boat and go off to Delmanutha also known as Magadan um, but let's not miss a detail here they are now back in Israel they had done some retreat time you know remember with Sidon and um, Tyre uh, Sidon, and they come back down through uh, this route down to the Decapolis, which was 10 cities, and that was in Gentile region. So they didn't have uh, Pharisees going after them and, and, and badgering them because they were in uh, unclean territory. But now, here we are, Jesus and his disciples are back in uh, Israel, and, you know, guess who is there to meet them. It's like, it's like the Pharisees were almost standing on the, the dividing line. Jewish land, Gentile land. They're just waiting. 
come on over here, Jesus. We got some questions for you. We want to hear from you, Jesus. And so they're waiting. They're, they're relentlessly waiting to get back in dialogue with Jesus. But is it really dialogue? We see in verse 11, the Pharisees uh, came to him and began to argue with him. Now, <clears throat> Greek is a wonderful language, and not everybody can learn it, but you can learn Greek. Even, even today, there's stuff online. If you ever want to learn Greek, you go at it. Have fun. But in the Greek language, uh, they everything is colored so much more like technicolor. And that phrase came and began, it comes out of a military um, phraseology. It's like they were there on the line waiting for Jesus to come back and they were ready to go at him. They were prepared like a military squadron. They were there to go after Jesus and to argue, not, not to argue for the sake of, of getting truth, but to argue to oppose. And it says they were seeking him from him a sign from heaven. And I like one commentator who said they were seeking for him a sign uh, from heaven, but that sign was for the purpose to control him. They wanted him to do their bidding. It wasn't like, Jesus, open our eyes so we can see you in glorious light for who you are and to see the glories of heaven. They wanted to control Jesus. And they said, it says they were to test him, not to discover uh, the merit of something, but they wanted to discredit Jesus. This was the Pharisees' bottom line. Jesus was nothing but a problem to the Pharisees, and they wanted to get back at him. They were like men looking for a fight. You ever been in a situation where you see some guy who's just ranting and raving? All he wants to do is fight, and that's what these guys wanted to do. They were seeking for a sign, but that was a faithless demand. And if you see in verse 12, look at verse 12. Again, as we mentioned last week, Jesus sighs deeply within his spirit. Jesus knew that their mind was made up. At every movement they make, they could see nothing but opposition. Here's something really important for us to understand about Jesus and the signs that he gave. Jesus gave signs, did signs and wonders in response to faith. In response to faith. But he would not be harassed and made to jump when his enemy said, jump. And since their, uh, their request for a sign didn't come from faith, they would receive no sign. Uh, there would be very few of us who would say Jesus was not able to do a sign. Even in their faithlessness, Jesus could have done a sign. That would have been easy for him. But he didn't want them to feel like they're playing puppet master with the divine king of glory. Each and every miracle of Jesus had a purpose. Some was to bring comfort. Others to openly and dramatically reveal his deity. He'd given them all enough proof, transparent proof, that he was the Messiah. Jesus knew with absolute certainty the more and greater miracles would not win over the defiant. And I, their defiance was entrenched. 
that the Pharisees had. So think of Luke 16. Do you know what's in Luke 16 without me even taking you there? Do you know the story there? It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? So <clears throat> Jesus is telling a story about this very wealthy man who had everything and a, a, a very poor man who basically uh, at, uh, sat near the table of the rich man and any of the crumbs that would fall, uh, Lazarus, the very poor man, would eat from the table of the rich man. And then one day, uh, the rich man died and Lazarus died. The rich man, who did not know God, went to Hades and Lazarus went to paradise. And, uh, and it tell, he tells the story of the rich man uh, yelling across the chasm uh, to, to uh, the, uh, Abraham's bosom, which is where uh, paradise is referred to, and, and said, why don't you just go to my home and to warn my family, especially warn my five brothers to change their lives, to, to uh, give their hearts to God, to obey God. And uh, he was so persistent, persistent that uh, Father Abraham said, I just know that if, he said to Father Abraham, if someone came back from the dead to warn them, they would repent. Stop there. If someone would just come back from the dead, warn my family about the outcome of not loving and obeying God, uh, that they would be fine. Doesn't that sound reasonable? They would be fine. They would change their way. They would give their hearts to God. I find it very interesting to hear what Jesus says the answer was from Abraham. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So he's telling this, this parable, this story, to the religious and to the non-religious, to the Pharisees, to believers. And he's saying... If you don't hear Moses and the prophets, you'll, you'll not be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Interesting, eh? And Jesus would soon be the one to rise from the dead. In other words, faith doesn't come from signs and wonders. It comes from God's word. We, we don't need signs and wonders to believe God. Signs and wonders do happen. God does miraculous things all the time, and you can look at them and you go, there's God at work. Wow. But do we really need those signs and wonders to believe that God is at work, that he's going to do what he promised? Paul said in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do we receive faith? How do we grow in our faith? If we're in the word of Christ. Faith comes by reading God's word, letting it soak into our lives. We don't need signs and wonders to believe God will do signs and wonders. We, we believe God is doing them right now, even if we don't see them, because we read in God's word that he is at work. Should we be surprised then that Jesus would not show the Pharisees more signs, more wonders? As a matter of fact, if you remember last week I mentioned, he said to them, you're not going to see any signs and wonders from me anymore, except for one sign, the sign of Jonah. 
That sign of Jonah was uh, to be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, being crucified, dying, and then being raised from the dead. This is the Pharisee. This is hard-heartedness at its best, at its worst. So that's the, disciples, uh, that's the Pharisees. What about the disciples? Move on to verse 14. So I'm going to deal a little bit with Pharisees, now with the disciples, and then we're going to wrap it up with some really, I hope, practical application for us today. Uh, at first, we see that uh, the insurmountable problem of the Pharisees is hard-heartedness, but here we see the surmountable problem of the disciples, slow to understand. This is something they can get through. This is something we all can get through, where we can go from moving from being slow of mind and heart to catching the greatness and the glory of God. It said in verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Seems that they were in such a hurry. Christ was moving them from one spot to the next in, in a great hurry that they didn't bring anything to eat except one little loaf. And that loaf in the original language is like a, a large Tim Hortons muffin. It wasn't much for, at least not much for 13 grown men, uh, you know, a little bit, and they'd be going, okay, that was a nice appetizer. Where's the rest? That's all they brought. What's interesting is they've just gone through conversations with these Pharisees, and all they had on their minds was their, were their stomachs. Like this guy going around the block, all he wanted was that pastry. They couldn't get food off their mind. And he begins with a caution. He says in verse 15, he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. I didn't know much about leaven. I, d I don't bake. I'm thankful for those who do. And this week, someone dropped off a little baking for me because, you know, I'm on my own all week long without my wife. And it was so hard. But I really enjoyed that baking. Part of that baking is, uh, you know, uh, what happens, you know, as it expands and grows, that's, that's leaven. I, I don't know if, it, if there's leaven in a muffin, yeast in a muffin, but it was good. It was so good. But you know what happens when yeast gets into something? It expands, it grows, especially when you put heat on it. Uh, yeast or leaven is a common metaphor for the invisible, pervasive influence of something, typically negative. And he's saying, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. That is, their attitudes, their, their mindset, which is invasive, it's pervasive, it's a terrible influence. It's a corrupting influence. Do you think of that much today in your life, the corrupting influence of the world around? Do you think of uh, the advertisings out there the philosophies, the worldviews. This is the leaven of our day, the yeast that is so easily, so readily trying to infect our hearts and our mind. The Pharisees were readily set against Jesus, and they were influencing as many people as they could. And Jesus strongly cautions the disciples to be on guard to not let their hearts be corrupted like the Pharisees. Would you ever think that 
your hearts could be corrupted like the Pharisees? If you tell me right now, oh no, my heart could never be corrupted like the Pharisees to have unbelief and, and, and be negative uh, to some of the things of God, then I want to caution you like Jesus. That is something we need to be on guard for. We need to watch out. And, and these dear disciples are slow to get that. They're, all they're concerned about is their stomach. They're discussing again, verse 16. After this warning, they go back to their discussion. They, they, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. It's like what Jesus was telling them. This leaven of the Pharisees uh, and of Herod just went over their head. It's like, I don't know what he's talking about, but hey, we still, we've got to do something about this bread issue. We don't have any food. Right over their head. All they cared about was feeding. Did they not remember what Jesus has done? He fed 5,000? And he just fed 4,000? You, you got to go, guys, do you not think he can take care of 13 men? Something was not right. They just weren't quite getting it. And we're going to see that they do. At least Peter does, and the rest of them will follow suit in, in, a, in a couple weeks. But they, at this point, they just weren't getting it. And he knew that they were still talking about this bread issue. So let's look at verse 17 to 21. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Listen to these staccato type of questions coming. Have I... Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves uh, for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12, and the seven for the 4,000. How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Man, they were slow to get it. These, these rapid-fire questions were saying, remember who I am and what I've done. Basically, these questions were a loving rebuke for the just not getting it gang. And he says in verse 21, uh, contemplate this. He said to them, do you ne yet not understand? <sighs> I spent all this time with you. I thought you'd be further along, or as Jesus would already have known, I know that you're going to be here. we got to get you from here, not quite getting it, to here, which is fully entrenched in your understanding and your belief in me as the Messiah, the one who will provide. So he's saying to them, really, stop, listen, and start thinking. I am the provider. I provided before, I'll provide again. Don't, don't have the heart set the Pharisees have and don't have the mindset that you've had. Step into a place where you know who I am and you trust me. And I think every believer goes through this. At one point or another in your life, you go through this. You say, I know who Jesus is. He is my Savior. But then we go through times in our life where we put him off to the corner and we live life on our own merits and our own strength and we forget, ah, I'm trying to live life on my own. I'm trying to pr 
provide on my own. When I need to just stop and say, Lord, give me the wisdom to lean into you and trust you and let you provide. So, with those thoughts in mind, I want to give you a, a conclusion today. Already we're there. You're going, all right, lunch is almost ready. First of all, Christians, we are not exempt from having hard hearts. There's no way we get to be exempt from that. The old nature in us is the thing that keeps trying to draw us back to a place where we're trusting in ourselves and not trusting in what the Father has for us. Hardening of our heart. It's dangerous. How do you know? Here's, here's the real point of this morning's message. How do you know if your heart may be hardening? How do you know if your heart is in a place where it's starting to get crusty to the things of God? Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're just struggling in your faith. Let me give you some thoughts here. First of all, are we lacking understanding of the truth that God has revealed and unwilling to seek spiritual guidance? Part of hardening of the heart is when we don't understand and we're not attempting to understand God's word properly. Jesus said, uh, and Jesus said in verse 17, uh, aware of them talking, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? They lacked understanding. And for us as Christians to start slipping into a hardened heart, it's because we're not getting God's word. And I want to tell you that it's hard. God's word in some cases is very hard to understand. And I want to encourage you, when you're not getting it, then you need to come and find someone to saddle up beside and say, do you understand this passage? Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch reading God's word? And he's reading Isaiah, and uh, Philip comes along and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I just don't get it. And Philip explained the scriptures. Why do we come to church? Well, because we get into God's word. We have someone who's studied it uh, and maybe helps you with a, uh, a challenging passage that you need to understand. Or maybe after church, we sit down, we look through it, and we say, here's what. Somebody asked me a question this morning. It was a hard question, and I was happy to help them for, from my perspective, what I believe the scriptures teach. And you may know somebody in your church family here that you go, I love chatting with them about God's word. That's where you go. If you're struggling with understanding God's word, find someone to work with it, to work with you on difficult passages. Not only that, God has given us many wonderful authors that are followers of Jesus who can help us to understand passages. Are you reading, Christians, apart from God's word, I hope you're in it, are you reading people who are writing about God's word? There are wonderful commentaries out there that where you come along to a passage and go, I just don't quite understand this. You can go to some great authors, and if you don't know who to go to, I can give you some great suggestions. But go and help, get help in understanding. Otherwise, you know what happens? You start to get a little crusty. You start to, you start to say, I, you know, I don't understand that part. I don't understand part. Can I really understand God's word? 
Is it really that important for me to be in God's word? It's important because it's one step toward a hard heart. You're not understanding. Secondly, are we allowing bitterness and resentment to be the guiding factor in our lives? You know, we've all been hurt by someone, haven't we? We've all been at one point in our lives just hurt. Uh, And bitterness and resentment creeping into our lives. And we'll notice it because we get edgy. Our, our, Our language, our tone becomes edgy. And we, we just don't feel love for that person. We don't feel uh, that you want even to be around that person. And, and you find it really hard to forgive. Have you ever found it hard to forgive someone? I have. It, 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 it's a stepping stone to hard-heartedness. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 21, 32, uh, 21 to 23. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and this I love it, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Do I need to read that again? I'm going to read it just for me again. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. You know, people will do things to you and say things to you. And yes, sometimes they're wrong. They shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. Sometimes they didn't even know that they've, they've done something wrong and hurtful to you. Or Oftentimes, they, they don't even know that they have said something hurtful. And you're bearing the weight of that anger and bitterness, and they don't even know it. Take the Matthew 18 principle. You know what it is? You read Matthew 18. It says, if you've got a problem with someone, go to them. Talk it out. And if, if they won't listen, take an elder. Take someone else. And I I think I would then move into this. Be kind to that person, even though they've hurt you. Tenderhearted, forgive them. Okay, so if we're allowing bitterness and resentment uh, to be the guiding factor in our lives, that's a stepping stone to a hard heart. Three, are we isolating ourselves from God and from his people? Uh, it, It seems that When I have a hard heart towards someone, towards the situation, guess what I do? I back away. I back off, and I I start to isolate myself. Particularly, I isolate myself from God and from his people. I don't talk to God about it because I know if I talk to God about it, he's going to tell me what I need to do, and I probably know already what I need to do. Be kind, forgive, tenderhearted. So I isolate And a lot of people don't go to church now, a lot of Christians, because they were hurt by somebody in church. And it's so sad because if they had dealt with it biblically, then they would not have missed out on all the fellowship and all the blessing that comes with being together as the body of Christ. Whenever you bring people together, 
there are going to be challenges, relational challenges. But God knew that, and Jesus knew that, and he said, when you have a problem, go to that person. And so, uh, you know, I, this morning I want to encourage you, just talk, love, forgive, be compassionate, be kind, and go. Don't isolate yourself, but engage yourself. Fourth, goes along with these, are we insisting on refusing to forgive? Some of us, <clears throat> we're stubborn, I know I am, <laughs> and, and we say, I'll never forgive that person, I'll never talk to them again. Well, this just goes along with what we've said already. You know, when we have that kind of a heart, we're in a situation like the air raid um, sirens. It says, danger, danger, danger. If your heart is in that place where you're unwilling to forgive, that is a dangerous place. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Not only that, Luke 17 says it this way, pay attention to yourselves. In other words, we need to be mindful of our hearts. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, oh, here's the tough part, you must forgive him. The heart of God is a forgiving heart. And when we turn to God, guess what he wants to do most of all is forgive and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And so why can we be, should we be any different when somebody sins against us? Our first inclination to be, is to be, I forgive them. I don't like what they've done. I don't like what they've said to me. But I'm going to forgive them because the heart of Jesus is forgiveness. And if you've ever felt the forgiveness of someone that you've hurt, you know how wonderful that is. That's like melted butter spreading all over you. It's so good. Forgiveness. Um, another point, are we becoming indifferent to the things of God? How do we know if our hearts are getting hard to God is indifference. The things of God no, no longer really get us excited. Being in God's word doesn't get us excited. Being with God's people doesn't get us excited. And that becomes an attitude of indifference. We need to ask God to turn our indifference into a passionate fire of love and desire to serve and be with other believers. And you know, when God hears from us and we, we, we yell out to him, God, help my heart, I'm struggling, God will hear. Last, and this is, this is a big one, have we become proud, even arrogant? How do we know if we are, uh, a hard heart is growing in us? Pride and arrogance. Pride is like the engine warning light on our dashboard. Somebody told me that this uh, in the last week or so that the engine light came on. 
I remember when I was younger and didn't know much about cars, when the engine light came on and says, warning, something's not right, that usually meant for me, oh, I've got two or three weeks. And <laughs> that's just bad news, isn't it? Because after about a day or two, not only is the one engine light on, they all come on. And all of a sudden I know, oh, I better take this in and see what... When my heart becomes proud and I, I become arrogant, that is a danger signal that God is saying, check this, take care of this. Because pride leads us to trust in ourselves more than it leads us to trust in God. Pride and arrogance. And, and maybe you don't know if you're dealing with pride or arrogance. Well, ask God. Ask God to, to shine that light on whatever area of your life you're struggling with this. And I do this regularly. Lord, help me to see where I might be lifting myself up and putting you, you to the side. May I be humble before you and my family, my church family, and those I meet. Because I don't want a hard heart because a hard heart does not lead to a glorifying servant. All right. With that in mind, take that with you this week. Ponder these differently. Go through this message again and ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to be dealt with? Is there any crustiness? Am I slow in any way? Am I missing something? Lord, you've been shining a light on this area of my life for weeks or months, and I'm just slow. I'm in the slow to get it gang. Help me to see it. And help me to watch for the leaven of the Pharisees in my life. Why? Because all I want to do is glorify you. All I want to do is live out your word in a way that brings you glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessing of your word. And I, I was just impressed this week by these few verses, Lord. And I pray that as we, your church here, seek to do your will and bring glory to you, that we are not slow in any way, but we're quick to get the truths that you're teaching us. And most importantly, that our hearts are soft, soft to what you have for us, what you want us to be and to do for your glory. And I pray that as the community around gets to know the Bridge Church, they will see soft-hearted, loving, caring, forgiving, compassionate believers, and that you receive all the glory. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.